Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. I'm your host, and uh, we are here as a podcast on uh, that takes advantage of the, tri- tri- let's call it the uh, trials and tribulations of entrepreneurs, founders, startups, and also the VCs, angels, investment firms, and family officers that work with them. And we like to say serve them, but uh, certainly know a lot about them. Um, uh, remember that you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Audible, Amazon. Make sure to subscribe. Give us a nice rating if you think we deserve it. Um, and um, you can also find me, michaelconniff.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N-I-F-F.com, at Michael Conniff on Twitter. And uh, with that, I want to welcome to the podcast uh, the very distinguished Dr. Nigel Clark. Um, welcome, w- welcome, Dr. Clark. Clark, great to have you here. Thank you, Michael. Uh, good to be here. Uh, a very difficult man to describe because you do so many things. Um, but um, uh, Dr. Clark has been in um, policy uh, discussions uh, and government um, panels and um, boards and bodies uh, in the healthcare area for 40 years. He and I have been connected um, via Uniplat, the unified platform that is trying to bring together entrepreneurs, inventors, innovators from less developed countries onto a um, uh, a place where the le- where the uh, playing field is level. Um, and uh, Dr. Clark has also, in the last 20 years, been very heavily involved in um, a plethora of startups in the healthcare area. So, uh, Dr. Clark, um, uh, very happy to have you here. I wanted to start by 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 talking about what you have been doing in um, in the healthcare startup world and what what changes you've seen in the last 20 years as you've been active. What what um, we're called the accelerator, so we're focused on startups and. Uh, we will talk about Uniplat's role in that, but tell me first, um, what what is your view of the healthcare area? It seems to me as a newcomer that it's incredibly robust and um, active. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, if you if you, I suppose the biggest change in the last twenty years is technology for communication. Of course, um, you know, twenty years ago we were doing email. Um, and we probably were all vaguely getting used to Googling, <clears throat> but we had not got social media. Uh, we did not have any of those kinds of ways of com- instant communication globally. Um, and we didn't really have what I've described as ways of, of, of putting together global data in quite the way we do now. So things have moved very fast indeed in respect of that. Um, I guess um, we could probably say that we... We know a little bit more about each other around the world than we knew 20 years ago. In the past, Mm. if you wanted to find out about what was going on in another country, you definitely had to go there. And you were never really all that sure whether you were meeting the right people, whether you had missed meeting the person you really needed to be talking to. Um, And and governments were very closed affairs. Um, I mean, the British government is a classic, used to be classically secretive. Um, a lot less open than many others. But on the other hand, there are plenty of others where it was very difficult to extract any information as to what went on. Um, Mm. I also think that um, uh, people didn't meet each other in the same kind of way. Um, And certainly in the healthcare world, um, uh, healthcare professionals and academics met largely either by virtue of what was published 
and we'll come back to that, or by virtue of going to congresses of one sort or another. But you didn't get a lot of advance information about who was going to be there. And you couldn't easily connect with people you met with when you'd been there. So actually, the biggest change is simply connectivity. We are better able mm. to meet each other and talk to each other than we were 20 years ago. And that's a huge difference. Do you, do you feel like when you were starting in, on, the, on the venture side 20 years ago that in many respects you were flying blind? Um, yes. I mean, it was more difficult to do due diligence. You, it was, it was a slightly more closed world. So if, if you've got some new technology coming up, there were only a limited number of people that you would necessarily go and talk to, to try and validate it in your mind before you got going. Um, so in other words, simple due diligence was more partial you were less able to i look at it this way you know if 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 you want to describe it's a bit like a child's mobile if you describe it from one angle you describe it one way but if you walk around it you're seeing something else and you describe it differently you need a full 360 degree explanation to to understand the full object you're looking at and the more you can do that the better you understand what it is you're actually looking at with science technology as a whole you need different perspectives to get a grip on it. And it was harder to do in those days. It's easier now. And so now that now that we do have the communication, we do have social media, we do have more transparency, and at least in some cases, how has that changed the opportunities you're seeing in the companies that you're investing in or advising others to invest well, in? Well, I think we're seeing more, for starters. Um but I'm not sure, and this is why I think Uniplat is so important, I don't think we see beyond, much beyond where we would have done 20 years ago. It's the same kinds of markets. We're, not, we're now beginning to get access to scientists in other countries that we might not have seen 20 years ago. And I think that's, that's a really important development because there are some great brains out there there's some really good thinking going on in a lot of different places um i mean you could say that there are some very obvious differences like china for example and the development of china in the last 20 years has been really fast a lot of very interesting uh, work coming out from there um but there are plenty of other places where the same applies um so i think that that's that's been a, a, a big change and a big advantage, I think. The other thing is that there are, and I'll come back onto this, no doubt, there are plenty more business people that you meet now from those countries who have been very successful that you might not have met um, previously. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I live in London and the city of London is a place that attracts money from all over the world and it always has done so you were always going to meet people who, who who were interested in this kind of thing and who had money and who'd been very successful but actually the the the, the fulcrum for that is changing now if you want to really talk to a wide range of people prepared to back businesses you need to be you need to go to singapore go to singapore you discover you should probably be talking to people in kuala lumpur as well you know you need to be talking in China. It's not just Hong Kong now, and so on and so on and so forth. And, and I think increasingly we're going to find that that becomes entirely global, um, and, and rightly so. And now, and now we have platforms like this and platforms like Zoom that make that even 
even more readily available. I want to point out that Dr. Clark um, has been chair of the General Pharmaceutical Council um, in the UK, uh, and he's been on many, many committees. Uh, he's a senior partner at um, Learned Lion Partners, chairs the boards of medical research business, Oxford Bioelectronics, diagnostic business, Marker Limited, and serves on the advocacy committee of the European Society of Cardiology. When I saw that, um, Dr. Clark, I was like, oh, on top of everything else, it sounds like you're a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, I think I may have just stood down from that. But uh, I've, been in, I've been involved <laughs> with the European Society of Cardiology for more than 10 years. Uh, but I was kind of, I started as the, as the chair of their audit committee. Um, as, the, as a non-cardiologist, and they very kindly asked me to serve on on the on the board for four years on their management group. It's a it's a wonderful organisation, but it's it has it taught me a great deal about the global reach of healthcare, um, because although they call themselves the European Society of, uh, of Cardiology, they actually have uh, fifty seven member nations, uh, and I think they're a rather fewer than 57 European countries. So they reach out beyond that. Their annual Congress uh, has 33,000 cardiologists who come from all over the world. And it's wow. an opportunity to really see how um, academics and uh, healthcare professionals in practice get together to talk about discovery, to talk about the future, to talk about how to make sure that the knowledge they have and the, and the things they have learnt expand beyond where they are already. So that, I mean, there are some wonderful initiatives they've started in other parts of the world looking at improving cardiac care, which are an illustration of the importance of professionals talking to each other. Um, more than anything else, they are incredibly good at sharing knowledge and I learned a great deal from that uh, as to how that works and the importance of older, more experienced professionals being prepared to share what they know with younger people and with other colleagues and to bring them into programs, research programs and so forth. Um, critical. In fact, I mean, I was thinking about this, as you know, I mean, one of the big changes in the last 20 years is that the whole area of genomics. And if you look at, for example, pharmacogenomics, where it's fairly, fairly obvious that people's genes do have an impact on how effective particular medicines are for that individual, in, in, the importance of that globally, where you have a whole lot of different gene pools of one sort or another, and, and, and clearly different kinds of people react differently to different treatments, that's the kind of knowledge that needs to be shared globally in order to make a difference to global health. And that, that's why people, you need these platforms to bring people together so that these things can actually be, people will be talking, basically. So in a, in, if, if, if Uniplat is able to, to accomplish what it, what it hopes and what it sets out to do, what what do you think would be the impact of that? It sounds like there are a lot of um, places where it's not that scientific inquiry has gone dark, but but in fact the opposite. But it it if you it seems like if you're a brilliant scientist born in the wrong country, you may have a very difficult 
time of it. Is, is that a fair I think thing? so. I mean, for two reasons. First, because you may not have access to the funding to go with your research, which may mean that, or historically has always meant people had to move. Um, if they wanted to get research going, they needed to move to the States, they needed to move to Europe. Um, that's far less so now, and, and rightly so, but all the same, people need to know those people are there and they need to be able to reach out. So I think the, the cash bit's there. The other point is that um, all too often they may have had to have worked alone, which is another reason why they had to move, because actually if they wanted to find colleagues of a similar standing with whom to engage and work, they had to, they had to go to find them. Um, so... And that's problematic. I mean, it, not everybody wants, wants to uproot themselves or their family to go and do a thing like that. And anyway, quite frankly, we should be encouraging the research base in every country in the world if we can. Um, you know, the, the future of humanity has always depended on the uh, quality of education uh, and actually being able to, to drive forward human knowledge and understanding. Uh, and that shouldn't be limited to a, new, a few cities around the world, frankly. And then, uh, of course, the quality of health and health care, right? Well, yes, indeed. Um, now, now, when you look at um, whether it's changes around climate change or related to climate change, um, population, um, we're here in the United States, we've, uh, we've just had a vicious hurricane blow through Florida, creating, you know, almost unprecedented damage. Uh, storms seem to be worse. Dislocation seems to be greater. Um, what is the particular challenge of that from from your perspective? You're, you're looking at a very broad brush at the, at the whole world. But with that kind of, uh, you know, and that, that happens in the United States, the government will appropriate billions of dollars to effectively try to fix it or to rebuild. Um, that's not possible in many countries in the world. But what do you see being the stresses on the healthcare system globally based on a more perilous uh, environment and, and environment broadly speaking? Uh, gosh, that's a big question, uh, Michael. Actually, um, well, I'd say first um, that in some parts of the world, contagious disease is still a very big issue, which it's not mm -hmm. in 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 the developed world as it were i mean one of the great successes other than, other than covid, other than COVID yeah, well, right <laughs> yes quite so <laughs> an excellent point <laughs> i don't know if you heard of it but exactly i got it i've had i've had five shots dr clark five oh, shots. i've just had my fourth so, I'm in the developed world <laughs> yeah okay uh, point, point well made i think um, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I mean i think but, or, or as we say in the U.S., how soon they yeah, forget? Yeah, quite so. Um, well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that that, that that is an extra burden for a lot of people around the world. Um, if you leave that aside, though, um, yes, you're absolutely right. And the other big issue would be uh, things that are, are known to be bad for health, like poor environment, bad housing, all a poor diet, all those sorts of things. Um they carry those burdens at the same time. So if you have an incident of the sort you're talking about, bad flooding, earthquake, fires or whatever, that adds to the whole thing. And they are reliant largely then on, um, 
on, on the charitable world. So either big government donations, which are certainly significant, and then the action of, 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 of charities of one sort or another globally who come in and help. But actually, more and more, what you need is local resilience. And that's partly building up local healthcare services so that they can deliver. But it's still a serious problem. I mean, if you think of the percentage of GDP that a first world country has to spend on healthcare to maintain its citizens' health, and you think of the amount of money that's actually involved in that for a relatively small number of people in comparison, you can see the, the size of the challenge in relation to that. So it seems, I mean, I think leaving disasters to one side, because I think the, the, that will always be one of those um, everybody around the world needing to pass the bucket round, as we would say, um, and either mm. provide assistance or provide cash or both. When it comes to health, much of it needs to be about preventing bad health. And that's about um, really building on the, uh, the you know, the, the, the development of decent housing, decent food, um, the strength of economies as much as anything else. But in behind that, what you can't do is then destroy the environment behind it. Um, so... I mean, I'm afraid I'm a strong believer that it is not possible to put the green agenda to one side. We actually have to have sustainability applying all the way through. And it is a big issue. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is one of the least sustainable industries there is. Um, but actually, it, I, I do know that people are beginning to tackle the issues and you know, the, how much energy it actually take, takes to produce drugs, how much wastage there is, which is absolutely huge everywhere. And we should, yeah, and we should point out that um, that Uniplat is tightly tied to the uh, United Nations SDG yep. goals and is very Quite much right. about about sustainability. So that's an important distinction. I, I wonder if I could ask you to put your healthcare hat, uh, healthcare investor hat, back on for a second, uh, Dr. Clark. Um, in particular, given you know the, the the your level of scientific knowledge and understanding. Um, what are, what does it take to get your attention? I'm sure you get pitched to death. I'm sure you get decked to death. Um, what, what makes you sit up and, and, and listen and look and want to know more? Um, so, uh, first, um, interesting science. So is this looking at something where, current treatments are um, inadequate or less than perfect? Um, is it a significant development? Um, I'm not, I, I mean, I don't do drug development because I think that's one of those things that um, requires huge resources and is a kind of different space. Um, but in devices, for example, which is um, a bit of a Cinderella uh, area for a lot of venture capitalists, particularly in Europe, um, is it going to make a difference? Is it easy to use? I'm definitely interested. Is it the kind of thing that will make a difference in uh, global markets and not just in Europe or the US uh, or China or Japan? Um, is, you know, how far will this go? Um, less, but not so worried about what the team is, except how good is the science and scientists and, and, and has it been confirmed and all that sort of thing. Um, 
But we're definitely, I mean, diagnostics is now of particular interest to me because I mm. think that's one of the things, I mean, um, we are moving very fast to understanding things better than we used to. I mean, it's simply astonishing, going back to what you're saying, how much we've learned about COVID in a very short period of time because yeah. we had to. That was kind of miraculous. Wasn't that miraculous scientifically when you think yeah. of, you know, I know there was a movie um, by the director, Steven Soderbergh, called Contagion, in which they were very meticulous about making it accurate. And the, the one thing they did that they thought was inaccurate was in the movie, the development of the vaccine happened almost overnight. And they were like kind of embarrassed about that because that could never happen. And of course, that's exactly what did happen. <laughs> the vaccine came to be just miraculous. And I mean, we've already forgotten how, how amazing that was. Well, that's we? absolutely true. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's it's what we shall see. But um, uh, I, I mean, it's it's you never know when someone presents you with an idea whether it's going to be in that category or not. Um, and the real question that, at the beginning is is trying to find out uh, is it too good to be true? Um, you know how good is the science? Has um, and this is where Uniplat kind of comes in here because one of the things you'd always look at is is there any published science around this? You know, have the people who are coming to see you actually done the research and then got it peer reviewed and published? But for some people in mm -hmm. some parts of the world, that's not so straightforward. And if that's part of the validation process, then immediately you know they're going to find it more difficult to raise money. But from an investor's point of view, how do you then go and make sure that what you're looking at stacks up and that it isn't kind of, you know, you're not going to get somebody turning around and saying, well, hang on. I, I've put in mind of that by some very interesting research we saw at one point when we were looking at it had its origins in, in research looking at safety of mobile telephones, cell phones. And um, you, it, it clearly had a, the, work, the work that was done was using electromagnetic fields to, to, to change certain bodily reactions and then act on them at the time. And the standard cardiologist response was, this can't be happening because there is insufficient energy in these electromagnetic fields to have the effects that are described. And the inventor said to me, that's just the wrong analysis. This is not about power. This is about signaling. So it's the difference between your turning off your television set at the mains and using your channel changer with a 1.5 volt battery to change the behavior of the television. And that, that is the kind of thing where you need external validation because you've got an argument between two professionals and as an outside investor without the expertise, you need to be able to understand whether it makes sense what you're being told or whether there's some other... You've got to be good at asking questions, but you've also got to know who you're asking the questions of. And, and I think that's why I, yeah. I, Uniplat to me... I mean, it's really attractive in that respect that you can bring together people where you can have a forum and you can get those questions put on the table and actually get an idea of what you're talking about. And you can introduce people who've come up with ideas from anywhere, but who need professional validation to go with them in order to attract money. And that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a powerful concept. And... Um... And I think you're a great spokesperson for um, for Uniplat for all of these reasons. 
what what do you see um, in the few moments we have left? I'm I'm curious if you uh, had to predict some breakthroughs or or significant uh, new wrinkles in the healthcare space, um, which from my perspective is very crowded. It's very hard to differentiate, as I think you're pointing out. Sometimes you don't have the yeah. data. Uh, almost nobody has your level of uh, expertise, obviously. But what do you what do you get excited about when you think about the future um, of healthcare? Are you seeing things that you think will have a profound impact in the coming years? Um, yes, I, I think. Uh, it, if you just took diabetes, which I think is about, I mean, one, it's a big first world problem, but it's actually becoming a problem everywhere else. There are some huge steps forward in terms of helping people. Um, the, the diagnostics around diabetes are going to be such that it will be relatively straightforward for people to just keep a, a, a constant eye on the key measures around them and make sure that they're eating and taking exercise and so forth in a way that stops them ever becoming diabetic. And I think that it, yeah. that it, it's the cause of a huge amount of first world illness, but it's increasingly becoming a global problem. And that, to me, is an illustration of... Um, I mean, it's, it's not quite Apple Watch territory because I'm too old to wear an Apple Watch and it'd be hopeless. I'd be, I mean, running is just not on the cards. <laughs> I haven't worn a watch in about 25 years, but you know, the result is I actually know what time it yeah, is. Yeah, quite so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a class, this is a total aside, but I did a class, a workshop on storytelling for startups. And uh, I finished my, my bit or whatever. And I said, you know, any questions, nobody had any questions. And I looked at the watch and I said, an hour on the button. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> that comes from being in radio, actually. Yeah, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, forgive me, yeah, forgive me the same way. Right. But, I mean, but um, di diabetes is, um, I happen to have it. It's very close to my heart. I've been pre-diabetic. I've been diabetic. I've controlled it with diet to a degree. But um, it's a pretty scary thing. I, I woke up um, about a month ago and I couldn't move these fingers. Really? And I was like, what the heck? And it turned, I'm pretty sure it was diabetic neuropathy. And uh, I Googled, immediately Googled it thinking like, not, not knowing what to think. And it said, well, this is a permanent condition. <laughs> and I was like, I panicked, but I, I've got to tell you, um, it went away, but I was really scared straight by that. No more anything that isn't, you know, no more sugar, no more nothing, you know. Um, but it kind of took that that revelation for me. And I'm obviously in a first world situation where I'm seeing doctors, I'm being diagnosed. Um, and it's uh, it's going to be, I mean, how many people have diabetes or are about to, or are pre-diabetic? It's got to be I mean, easily hundreds of millions, maybe a billion. It's, it's a very big number. That That's certainly right. Yeah. Yeah. So is it also a um, developing world problem? You say it's more so. Is it, that it's, because, it's of, become, because uh, of dietary change? Um, it, it really is more sugar in diets uh, uh, and yeah. more carbohydrates. Okay. Uh, so it's kind I of see. worked that way. But um, uh, it, it's it's... 
it's it, it's illustrative though of the notion of actually giving people more control over the, the, the information they need to just get on and live their lives in a re- relatively healthy fashion um and i, and I can we can decry watches and so forth but to be fair for younger people that's going to be part of their lives is what they do I, you know that um yeah but i'm not saying it's the only thing that there are other ways of doing it but for large amounts of the world um the, the issue is actually feeding properly in the first place. Um, so I think there's kind of, it, um, I mean, I've, I've been involved in charities in, in Africa, which are all about actually doing things like improving seed banks for farmers and things like that. So actually, you've, you right from the word go, you're basically saying, let's, let, let, let's get quality into food and so forth. There was one thing before yeah. we finished that I did want to mention, the recent development on Uniplat, which I think is the most important thing I can think of at the moment, which is the introduction of CEOs to startup guys. People who are starting businesses are more often than not Entrepreneur, you know, they're inventors, they're all they're scientists. I mean, people who are doing stuff, but what they've never done is run a business, and they don't know how to, and they can't afford to employ a high quality CEO who's been around for a long time. Um, and mm. there is a Uniplat development which I think is just beginning, which is designed to try and introduce. People who've got a track record as CEOs who are really interested in helping people in startups to actually get it right. And that seems to me, as, a, as an investor, I think that it's absolutely critical um, and is a really good thing to be doing. Um, so if there's any, there are any you know, CEOs out there listening to this, get involved with Uniplat because you couldn't do a better yes. thing than you know, to get stuck in. Go to uniplat.social, get set up as a facilitator at the very least, um, but but let us know and we'll, we'll point you in the right direction for sure. Well, Dr. Nigel Clark, it's a pleasure. It's an education. Um, I'm really grateful for your time today. So thank Not you. Not at all, Michael. It. Much enjoyed talking to you. Always, always a pleasure. This is The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. We're a podcast that you can find on all the major podcast platforms, Audible, Apple, Amazon, uh, Spotify, and so on, also on YouTube. Um, Thanks for being with us today, and uh, keep tuned for our next podcast. We'll be back before you know.